0: Good morning, friends. Uh, today and the previous week, we know that our next two weeks to come, we have invited our friends to come and worship with us. So I'll try not to use as many uh, Christian jargon that we use in church, which uh, some it may be alien to you. So I shall try to use simple words uh, to share with you the word of God. I was teasing, Pastor, what is, what is this sofa doing? I, can I preach from there, sitting down there? Pastor smiled and said, no, no, it's for some people who have to be comfortable for interview." interview. Well, good morning, friends, and uh, the peace of the Lord be with you. Good to see all of you here in church today. Let me start by telling you a story. A married couple was celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. A long time. Anybody, anyone here? 60th anniversary? Wedding? Not yet? At the party, celebrating the 60th anniversary. Everybody wanted to know how they had managed to stay married so long in this modern day and modern age. The husband responded, When we were first married, we came to an agreement. I will make all the big, major decisions. And my wife will make all the minor decisions. Then the wife butt in. And in 60 years of marriage, we have never needed to make a major decision. You know who makes the decision, right? Most of the decisions. Friends. Today, we are going to look at one important question which deals with a decision. Before that, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and our God, as we come to examine your word, we ask that you would speak to us of your eternal truth. Prepare our hearts, O God. Help us to receive your word. Break the hard and stony ground, help our unbelief. Plant your word deep down deep in us and cause it to bear fruit. Open our hearts to hear. Lead us in your truth. Show us Christ, Lord. Show us Christ. O God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word until every heart confesses Christ is Lord. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of hearts be acceptable be acceptable to you, our God and our Redeemer. Amen. I can't get the clicker working. You don't mind. Okay, you turn the slide for me in the case this clicker doesn't work today. Can you turn on the next slide, please? Well, this slide shows you the trial of Jesus Christ. And the passage that was read was about the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, was telling the people, the Jews, down there below this balcony, what shall I do with Jesus? Can I have the next slide. So, the main verse for today is taken from Matthew twenty-seven, verse twenty-two. When the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, asked a very important question. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Friends, this is a great question for all of us. Whether you are a Christian or you are a long believer, this is the question you have to answer. It is a great decision which requires from each one of us and you can't avoid making this decision. In fact, it is the most important decision in your life you will ever make. And that is that decision is about Christ. So friends, my sharing will be with these three sermon points. First, what do you know about Jesus? Second, what did jesus do for you and thirdly what will you do with jesus let us look at the first sermon point what do you know about jesus what do you know about jesus who is jesus to you these may seem very basic to us wow we know we know who jesus is we know people in the streets when interviewed in the states and in australia and in europe when asked who is jesus they will say i know but friends bear this in mind knowing someone is different from knowing of someone i repeat knowing someone is different from knowing of someone for example You say i know that celebrity oh i know for example uh tom cruise but do you really know tom cruise people may say i know christ but do you really know christ people have given these responses well christ is a religious teacher he's a great spiritual leader a historical figure, a good man, a prophet. Now, Jesus Christ asked his disciples what others think about him. Let's move on to the next slide. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, the Bible tells us, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, And still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus threw a very direct question to his disciples. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered this question. Simon Peter is one of his disciples. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The word Messiah means the anointed one. That is the meaning, it's a Hebrew word, Meshech. So friends, how well do you know Jesus? It's something we do ask. Knowing Jesus is more than just having Bible knowledge. Knowing him personally means that we can totally trust him and what he says to us. Our closing hymn for today is only trust him, only trust him. And have a commitment to obey whatever he asks. So friends, our takeaway message for this section is true Christianity is all about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not what you know about jesus it is about whether you have a personal relationship with jesus you know the the young uh, what i call kids of today over the facebook they will always say i am in a personal relationship you know and then we all laugh oh, don't know who the person is but they'll never say i know a person they will say i am in a personal relationship so friends do you know christ Or are you in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? To know Jesus is to know God. And it's vital, friends, to know Jesus personally. Christianity is not a religion, Christianity is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is a very important understanding. The second sermon point. What did Jesus do for you? Well, most Christians will say, well, he died for my sins, and so on. He saved us. But let me ask you to think carefully. What did Jesus do for you? Let us see the next slide. This slide shows you the Titanic, which is about to sink. And there the man in the picture is Joseph Dell. I'm going to ask the uh, projectionist to show you a very short video clip about this man. What is unique about this man, Joseph Bell? He was in charge of a group of engineers. They were under the ship in the engine room. As the Titanic began to sink, Joseph Bell and the engineers remained in the engine room. They did not get out. They urged the engineers and the firemen to keep the boilers active. Why? so that the pumps continue to work and ensuring that they have electricity as long as possible for the passengers to abandon ship. And you know, in in the Titanic, there were 2,200 passengers out of which only barely 700 survived. And according to legend, Bell and his men worked to keep the lights until the power on in order to send distract signals to get out. And all of them died in the bowels of the Titanic. Bell's body was never recovered. There, were, there was a witness who was in, on the, in the what I call that uh, light boat. He saw Joseph Bell standing at the aft means the high part of the the ship, the big titanic. And as as it sank, the titanic sank, he went down with the titanic. Why do I relate to you this story? It is about a sacrifice of a person who saved at least 700 people. You know the titanic? When the builder of the Titanic, his name is Thomas Andrews, they asked him about the Titanic. He said, "What? even God will not sink the ship. And you know what happened to the Titanic? It sank. It sank. This guy mocked God, saying that nobody can even destroy, sink the ship, even God Let me tell you another story of sacrifice. This was sent to me by my brother, Dato Kuchok Sin. And I found it so, uh, so, what I call that, so meaningful. And it was the right time. At this time when I want to deliver this message to you this morning. oh Henry, wrote a book called The Gift of the Magi. And he related a story of a very poor wife who sold her long, beautiful hair just to buy her husband a gold pocket watch chain. That's all. She sold her long, beautiful hair. And then... She learned later that her husband did something else. The husband sold his pocket watch to buy her a set of combs for her long, beautiful hair. Great sacrifice for each other, friends. Great sacrifice. But then, there is another person called Jesus who made that sacrifice for each one of us. And this verse, taken from John three sixteen, which even my non-Christian friends can even memorize this and tell me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Friends, God gave. God does not take from you. God first gave His only begotten Son. And let's see the next slide. You see, when men sinned, there was this gap that exists between God, holy God and sinful man. And men tried to reach God by all means, but they could not by their good deeds. But Christ came. And what did Christ do? Next slide, please. Ah, yeah, the next slide. Jesus came to bridge the gap between God and man so that we are reconciled to God. Friends, Jesus died so that we can reconcile with God. Jesus came to bridge the gap between God and man. So what did Jesus do? Jesus carried our burden of sin. He suffered shame and pain for all of us. The Romans have invented the most cruel form of punishment or death. Penalty, And that is the crucifixion. It's a terrible death, slow death. I remember a doctor who explained to me how one could survive, nailed to the cross, and you cannot even breathe. And each time you want to breathe, you got to raise yourself up. And when you raise yourself up, It is very, very painful. And Christ did that for each one of you. He carried the burden. John 5, 13 says this in the Bible, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friend. What a wonderful person Jesus is. And God sent his only son, his only son. So our takeaway message for today, for this section, is this: Jesus is the reason for the season. When we come to this Advent season, Advent season means a time when we come to celebrate Christmas. Christmas is not the Christmas tree behind me. Christmas is not about gifts and parties and food. Christmas. It's because of Jesus Christ, who came into this world, born of the Virgin Mary, in a manger, not in a nice hospital. That was a very humble birth. So friends, remember, when we celebrate Christmas, remember, Jesus is the reason for the season. We must remember that. Let's go on to the next slide, the third part of the sermon. What will you do with Jesus? We pull out on a question which Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, asked the Jewish mob or crowd. Jesus went through two trials. First, it was the Jewish trial. Now, Jesus has already been tried by Annas, Caiphas, and the Sanhedrin. It was a mock trial. Annas and Caiphas were all high priests. They were both high priests. The Sanhedrin was the religious body, the governing body. And it was a mock trial. Why we say it was mock trial? Because why it was done hurriedly so that Jesus can be killed. But friends, whatever they tried to call witnesses, to say the wrong things that Jesus had done, they could find no fault in Jesus. So they wanted him to be put to death. But they cannot do it because according to the Roman law, no one can be put to death Without Roman permission. And that's why they have to approach Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor. Let's look at the next trial, and that is the Roman trial. Jesus was brought before Pilate by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious authorities. Pilate does not want to deal with Jesus Christ because he he doesn't want to do anything with the Jewish religion. He was a politician, Polish politician. And so what? When he heard that Jesus was from Galilee, he sent Jesus to go before Herod Antipas. Harold Antipas. You know, Harold Antipas was the one who beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. So Jesus was sent before Pilate, appeared before Pilate, then Herod, and Herod, then find no fault, found no fault about Jesus. He sent Jesus back to Pilate. And that's how we see the Bible passage that was read today about Jesus appearing before Pilate once more time and the verdict was not guilty by Pilate not guilty Jesus was innocent at, at <coughs> from the beginning but also we also hear about a warning from Pilate's wife if you have a bible you can turn with me to Matthew 27:19. If you have the Bible with you. While Jesus was sitting on the judge's seat. Now, where was Pilate? Where was Pilate? While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, he was on the judgment seat. I want you to take note. Pilate was on the judgment seat, like a judge. His wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in the dream because of him. Friends, even the wife of Pontius Pilate was convinced that Jesus was an innocent person. Pilate himself knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that the Jewish religious leaders wanted to put Jesus to death because they were envious of Jesus. Because of envy. And that's why they wanted Jesus to die. So, moving on from Jewish trial to the Roman trial, let us look at what others did to Jesus. First, they disregarded him. As I mentioned, Pilate does not want to deal with Jesus at all. He has no business to deal with the Jewish religious uh, uh, concerns at all. So friends, if we say, Pilate disregarded Jesus, what about us in our modern age? We have people who want to have Christmas. Without Christ. Why do I say that? They spell Christmas as Xmas. They remove the Christ and remove and, and replace with the X. So you will look at some Christmas cards, they say, Merry Xmas. Not only that, you look at the cards, they say, uh, when, when, we, when we wish people, instead of Merry Christmas, they say, Happy Holiday. Uh, season's greeting for the year. They have, they want you to forget about Christ. People have forgotten about Christ, even in the Christmas greeting cards. So people disregarded him. Next, yeah, sorry, Pilate even disregarded Jesus by re- by freeing Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a notorious criminal. And Pontius Pilate asked the people, the Jewish crowd, who will I release, Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd said, Barabbas. Kill him. Can you go back to the next slide? Kill him. other than disregarding him, what others did to Jesus was to kill him. Even when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, King Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Now this King Herod was the father of Herod Antipas, the one whom Jesus appeared in the trial. And you know what his father did, Herod the Great? Because of jealousy, He doesn't want another ruler other than him. So he ordered baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem to be killed. So Jesus had to flee with his parents to Egypt. And of course, the Jewish crowd wanted Jesus to be crucified. What do others do to Jesus? let's look at the next slide this is something which even our modern people do to him they mocked him the roman soldiers actually mocked jesus if you look at matthew 27 verses 20, uh, 38 to 30 38 matthew 38 Uh, sorry, Matthew uh, 27, verse 27. The soldiers mocked Jesus. How did they mock Jesus? They stripped him. They put a scarlet rope on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And in verse 30, they spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on, and they led him away to be crucified. Jesus was mocked. How do you feel if you were to be mocked by people? It's a terrible thing, isn't it? Tancredo Neves, President of Brazil, during the presidential campaign, he said that if he got 500,000 votes from his party, not even God would remove him from presidency. Very arrogant. Sure, he got the votes, he was voted the president, but... He got sick a day Before being made president Then he died This is the danger Of mocking God Thomas Andrews Which I mentioned He built the Titanic A reporter asked him How safe the Titanic would be And you know what he said Not even God can sink it Not even God can sink it He mocked God And the third example is that of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Young young people may not know who Marilyn Monroe is. Those are world super seniors. You know who Marilyn Monroe is. An actress. She was visited by Billy Graham during a presentation of a show. And Billy Graham said to her, the Spirit of God sent me to preach to you. After hearing what Billy Graham had to say, she said these words, I don't need your Jesus. I don't need your Jesus. A week later, she was found dead in her bedroom. You know, I've seen some video clips of people in the West. They stand in a crowded street and say, God, where are you? Show me, God. And you know what happened? The person suddenly dropped and died person who mocked God. What else do people do to him? They deserted Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Peter even forsook him. Remember, Peter, his disciple, denied Jesus three times. Not only that, If we read in Mark chapter 14, verse 50, Then all his his disciples deserted him and ran away. Even his disciples deserted him. Friends, how do you feel when you are mocked? How do you feel when people deserted you and you are all alone? And Jesus was standing alone. No one was with him. All have deserted him. Because he faced abandonment, we can rest assured that he knows how we feel when we are abandoned, betrayed, and abused by people. The takeaway message, friends, is this. Jesus, you and I have a choice to make today, Jesus is without sin and Jesus paid the price for our sins. No religious leader laid down his life for others other than Jesus Christ. But what is unique about Jesus Christ different from other religious teachers is this. Other religious have died and buried but Jesus was died, buried and rose on the third day. Which religious teacher rose on the third day? Other than Jesus Christ. Conclusion, friends. Just like Pilate, you are in a dilemma to decide Jesus. Is either you reject or receive Jesus today. A poincious Pilate eh, rejected Jesus he condemned Jesus to be crucified. Pilate was sitting on a judgment seat. He felt so great. But friends, one day, it will be reversed. Jesus is going to sit on the judgment seat and Pilate will be standing before him. Now, what will Pilate say to Jesus at that time? Jesus died on the cross so that we might be saved from our sins. Have you placed your trust in Jesus? We have only to trust him. So friends, my invitation is this for, for anyone who hasn't known Jesus in a personal way. When the heads about in a closing moment, if you don't know Christ, this is time for you to respond. You have heard what Jesus did for you. You have to answer the question, what will I do with Jesus. Pilate condemned him. The crowd accused him. Herod mocked him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. What are you going to do? The right thing is to receive him as your Savior and Lord. And I invite you to do right now in your heart. The one who came to die for you, take away your sin, give you eternal life. One day, Jesus will sit on the judgment in reverse. They say this, huh? good lawyers know the law, but great lawyers know the judge. And Jesus is the great judge, and you've got to know him. Let us pray. And in this closing prayer, I will lead you in this prayer. If you want to accept Christ into your life, please tell it to Jesus right now. Dear God, I realize I am a sinner, and I could never reach heaven by my own good deeds. Right now, I place my faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son, who rose from the dead and gave me eternal life. Please forgive me all my sins and help me to live for you. Thank you for accepting me and giving me eternal life. Amen. If I say this prayer, please tell it to the pastor or the person who brought you, tell the person so that we can then follow up with you.